Welcome to this week's podcast from Free Chapel in Orange County. We hope that you enjoy this encouraging message. For more information on our church family, visit freechapel.org forward slash OC. All right, let's go. Are we ready? Let's go. Um, we're looking at, we've been discussing this, this concept, if you like, of what it means to live free, right? To live free. And it's a, it's a conversation that's, that's quite engaging because each and every one of us do have a desire within us to live a life of freedom. Because we, as we've gone on this journey across the last few weeks, we have all, if we're gonna be really honest, we've all recognised that there are areas in our life where the Lord is inviting us to a deeper level of freedom in our life. And we established a somewhat of a formula that we've been unpacking where Jesus speaking to these Jewish believers says to them, if you abide in my word, you'll be my disciples and you will know the truth and then the truth shall make you free. So we've recognised and identified that a byproduct of freedom is knowing truth. And the level to which I know truth is the level to which I experience freedom. And if there is no end to the level of truth I can know of my own life, of God's Word, then there is also no end to the level of freedom that I can walk in. And that's an incredibly exciting thing for us to hear in knowing that no matter where we are and no matter what we know and no matter what we have experienced and no matter what we understand about the Word of God and our life or our situation, that there is always more for us. That's a great thing to, uh, to, to receive, a great idea for us to embrace that there is always greater levels of freedom for us. And this is what we've been talking about. And so last week we went to a deeper level in unpacking truth. And, and one of the things that we unpacked was the idea that the freedom that Jesus has on offer for us to walk in is a freedom that is not natural, but a freedom that is supernatural. A freedom that is spiritual. And, and that's a little offensive to my flesh because my flesh is in contrast to my spirit, right? My flesh, remember, wants different things to what my spirit wants. And so they're always competing against one another. So herein lies the importance of sticking to the formula that Jesus lays out for the disciples because the formula is not just about getting to this place where I receive freedom, but the formula is also about growing my spirit and denying my flesh so that I can walk in the fullness of the freedom that's on offer. Does that make sense? Great. So today I want to, we're going to 
rounded out, if you like. And, and today, I, we're just calling this little, little talk this morning, Freedom Is. Freedom Is. I'm going to give you a couple things that I want you to write down. And, and, and if you're in a small group, um, they're going to go through it some more in a small group this week. But I want to I draw your attention to a challenge within this story that Jesus has with these Jewish believers that he's talking to. And let's pick it up real quickly in verse 33. Let's do 34. So they're in a conversation, right? Remember, they're talking. They're going back and forth. And, and these jokers here are, are finding it hard to sort of understand what Jesus is talking about. And it says here in 34, Jesus answered them, Assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. Remember what we said this he was doing here. He was revealing a level of truth as to the problem that they had. Right, Because they were trying to play church. They were trying to play surface level. No, we're good, we're good. And Jesus in His grace says, well, you're not, you're screwed up and you're sinners. And basically He just lays it out. But then He goes on and He says, the problem with this is in verse 35. Jesus says in verse 35, and a slave does not abide in a house forever, but a son abides forever. So I want you to see what's, what's happened here. Jesus says to them, hey guys, there's a problem. You're sinners. Then the next verse, He starts talking about a position that their mess, their problem has put them in. Do you see that? So He says, there's a problem. The problem is your sin, right? The mess in your life. Then he says, the reason why this is a problem is because this makes you a slave, not a son. So I want you to see, because this is an important principle, because so often we see the problem in our life as being sin, but the problem is the separation from God that our sin causes in our life. Do you see the issue? The problem is not the mistakes you make, the problem is the position your mistakes put you in without Jesus. Do you understand? This is really good preaching already. It's only a couple minutes in. Listen, listen, give me a moment and indulge me. It's a couple minutes in, but I feel really great about what we're doing because it's an important principle to understand that when we make a mistake, sin is separating us from a heavenly Father. And Jesus, when He hung on the cross, He bridged the gap between my God and my mistakes. And because of the blood of Jesus, I can be cleansed through my mistakes and close the gap that my sin created. Well done, Ben. I am so glad that I came to church on Father's Day for that. That's really good. That's a really good thing for us to be reminded of because everywhere there's a problem in the kingdom, there is also a solution through Jesus. That's why Jesus said on the cross, I did it all. It is finished because of Jesus. He closed the gap. 
So my sin doesn't separate me from God anymore when I repent and receive Jesus as my Lord and Saviour. It closes the gap. It's me and Jesus. I don't have to close the gap through hanging on to beads and praying particular prayers. I don't have to close the gap through a priest or through a father. And I love it and I respect it and all of that. And I'm not trying to to, to be dishonouring, but I'm trying to speak truth to you to say that there doesn't need to be anything between you and your God except Jesus. And if you try and put something in between, if you try and put your own works in between, you will fall short. And I'm sure you're very nice and you're very love you and lovely and you do lots of great things and help old ladies across the street and buy people free coffee. But I wanna tell you, it doesn't matter how good you are, we can never do enough. And you know what? It's exhausting to try. That when God looks at you, He looks at you filtered through His Son and the price Jesus paid. So the importance in living free is found in the position that you maintain. Because this is what Jesus is Revealing and the level of truth he is revealing is, is the importance of maintaining the right position despite the mistakes you make. And the second you make a mistake, you get out of position, hence the need to repent and get back to where you need to be through the blood of Jesus. And this is what he says to them. So I wanna focus your attention on this thought of being positioned correctly because. Living in freedom is found in living in the right position. It's where you're positioned. And in this conversation that they have across the next 20 odd verses, Jesus continues in His grace and His patience. He continues to offer to them this freedom. And if you read it, you can read it later across the rest of the, really the rest of the chapter. This conversation continues and it's quite frustrating to read after a while because you see what Jesus is doing. Jesus essentially is like, hey guys, I have something great for you. Would you like it? And they're like, nah, we're good. We don't really need it. And Jesus is like, well, You do um, because you're a mess and I could help because you're out of position. And they're like, "Uh, we get it, but like Abraham's our father and we're Jewish believers, so we're cool, thank you. Jesus is like, "Uh, you're not really cool. You're actually a bit screwed up and you need this more than you realise. And they're like, well, we get it, but... It's kind of a bit like you're offering something to us that, you know, like we're not really sure about what you're offering, that we need it. And also we're not really sure that you're the person that can be offering in this to us. Like, really, who are you? And then Jesus is like, well, um, idiots. Uh, He doesn't say idiot. I'll put that in there. It's in the Greek. That was for our Greek friends. Um, (laughs) We'll edit that out of YouTube. And, 
And so Jesus is like, um, guys, well, I, I do have something to give you because, um, you know, how do I put this? I'm God, okay, and I can help. And I'm making light of it, but really, if you read, this is what's happening. And as the conversation keeps going back and forth, these Jewish believers start getting frustrated and they actually start resenting the very thing that Jesus is offering to them to actually help them. To the point where at the end of the chapter, these people, these Jewish believers are so offended, they try and kill Jesus. Now understand what's happened. These Jewish believers, it speaks of them as being Jewish people who believed what Jesus was saying. Remember, that's how Jesus determined who He was gonna offer this freedom to. He was offering it to those in the crowd that believed Him. So they started as believers, but then across this conversation, they end up wanting, in fact, trying to to kill Jesus by way of stoning Him. And so it, it causes us to look at it and think, my God, that's such a dramatic shift, isn't it? So I wanna know what happened? Because if we look at the story, remember we looked at the story at the start and and a great way to read Scripture like this is to, uh, the way in which I often read it myself is is, is where do I find myself in the story? And, And initially at the start, I found myself, and maybe you guys did too, as one of the Jewish believers because Jesus is offering something to people that believe. And I'm like, well, I believe, like, can I have some too, you know? And we're sort of like, we begin, that's how we began the journey, didn't we? But then as I go along the journey, I'm sort of like, whoa, I don't really wanna be one of these dudes anymore. Because I don't, I'm not about to get to that place where I start resenting Jesus and then start opposing Jesus and start being offended. But, but the, the challenge in it is, if I may, that if we found ourselves in the start of the story as one of those Jewish believers and we identified with them at the beginning, remember, because they were pretending sort of playing church and sometimes we can all do that and we pretend like we don't really need freedom and we can all sort of do that. If I found myself in them at the start, then maybe I could fall into the same trap that they did as the journey continued. And it's challenging to think, but, but, but go with me for a minute because we see how out of position these Jewish believers quickly become. They began as believers receiving from Jesus, listening to Jesus as He outlines a formula for freedom, but they get so quickly out of position not only do they end up missing the freedom Jesus has on offer, but they end up resenting Jesus for even offering it. So I wanna identify real quickly, because it's found in these verses. I wanna identify four things that 
help me hold my position. Hold my position. Because the first thing I want you to see in these Jewish believers, and it's very evident throughout the story, is that they were so full of pride and they could not humble themselves. They couldn't humble themselves. The first thing that I want you to see is freedom is, and this is what I want you to write down, is received only by the humble. These Jewish believers, they could not receive it. As you look at the conversation and they just keep going back and forth, I sort of, I was reading it again over and over. I sort of wanna jump into the conversation and tell these Jewish believers, bro, shut up. It's 20 verses. You are arguing with Jesus. Shut your mouth. I wanna help them. And be like, listen, if Jesus comes up to you and He says, would you like freedom? The right answer is, yes, Jesus, I would. Thank you so much. On what planet are you arguing with the Son of God about what you need? Can you see how blinding pride can be in our life? That we have this argument, well, I think I'm good. No, no, you're not good. You're not good. And in light of the God that is standing in front of you, who is all knowing and all perfect, that's a great moment for you to humble yourself and say, dear God, would you show me where I need help and show me where I need to grow? It's it's a platform of humility that is the starting point of living a life of freedom. Because humility identifies that I have a need. But we struggle so much in this day and age in the Western world when it comes to living a life of humility. Because we put so much emphasis on what we have, what we can do and what we've achieved. And living humble actually has nothing to do with what you have. Living humble is all about what you depend upon. And I've met a lot of people who have a lot and are very, very humble because they recognise the source of their strength and the provider in their life is the Lord and not them. But I've also met a lot of people who don't have much at all and they are full of pride, which is the very reason why they don't have much. Because if God blessed them with the very things they're praying for, they would take all the glory for themselves because pride is all about pulling glory to ourselves and focusing on ourselves and not Him. But if we know what it is to stand on a platform of humility, 
you set yourself up to walk free. We're told this in one of the most well-known verses that we love to quote. We love to pray. 2 Chronicles 7 verse 4. If my people who are called by my name will, what? Say it like you're awake. Will what? Humble themselves. We read over that part real quick. You know why? Because we want to get straight to, and I will heal their land. Heal their land, that sounds to me like freedom, doesn't it? But it begins with humbling ourselves. Because a person who is not humble will never pray. He says, if you'll humble yourself, freedom is received by the humble. I want you to see the next thing that Jesus goes on and talks about in relation to their position. And He talks about their position. And if we're going to read it, applying it to us, our position as sons and as daughters. And this is, this is an important one because our understanding of ourselves as sons and daughters directly connects us to our inheritance that Jesus paid the price for us to have. And if I'm standing in a place of humility, the second thing that I want you to see that freedom is, freedom is then activated through confidence in who I am. Now, it sounds like those two points are in contrast to one another because typically we don't associate confidence and humility together. But that's because we don't have a true understanding of what confidence is. Confidence is not arrogance. Arrogance is being bold in who you are in your own strength. But confidence is knowing who you are through your heavenly Father. That's why He says your position as a son or daughter is imperative that you maintain that position because you will never walk free if you don't understand who you are as a son. Because a son is confident in who he is. A son has authority that has not been given to him anywhere else except through His Father. This is how we can live free. This is how we can oppose challenges and difficulties that come into our life. This is how we pray. That's why at the end of praying, we say in Jesus' Name. We don't say in Ben's Name because that won't do anything for you. We say in Jesus' Name because as sons or daughters, we understand that we have an inheritance that is given to us through the lineage, the spiritual lineage that we hold as believers in Jesus Christ. And we can be confident in that and also maintain a life of humility. It's humility. Humility in knowing who I am and knowing I did not achieve it in and of myself. But I am a son or daughter through the price that Jesus paid. 
When I was a kid growing up, you know, my, my dad's an attorney and, and he had a, a law firm in the area where we grew up. It was walking distance from, from the house I grew up in. And so all of the stores around where my dad's firm was, he had a, an account at each one of these stores. And it was under, the name of the firm was Prescott and Associates. And so it was under, everything was all of the stores for employees that could buy things and they could put it on the store account. This was incredibly, um, this was an incredible blessing for a 12-year-old growing up in that area when I came to the realisation that I could go into any one of these stores with no money and get whatever I want and it was covered by my dad's firm. Dad, I apologise for the bill, but it is what it is. So I remember like I would go in, I'm like this 12-year-old little snotty-nosed pimple-faced kid going into these stores getting whatever I wanted. And then at the end, when I would take it to the, the, the checkout, I would say to them, I'm putting this on Ian Prescott's account. Thank you. <laughs> Trying to walk in as much swag as a 12-year-old can. Feeling pretty confident. It was a great way to make friends growing up. I would gather all my friends in the neighbourhood and we would go shopping <laughs> on Prescott and Associates account. You never seen a 12 year old walk so confidently into a store. Why? Because I'm not going there in my name. And when it comes to paying the price, I'm not paying the price because the price is already paid. Because it's not about who I am, but it's about who I'm connected to as a son or daughter. And when you understand who you're connected to, you walk in a confidence and you actually access things that you could not normally access and things that in reality you don't deserve if it was not for the blood of Jesus and the price that He paid to establish your position as a son. This is how you walk free in a confidence in knowing who you are. You don't deserve your freedom and neither do I. And quit trying to convince yourself that you do. The best thing to do is to humble yourself and say, I don't deserve this. I've made mistakes. I've screwed up. I've messed up. And many of us, the reason we're bound is because of past mistakes we've made. So we have to recognise it, stay in that place of humility, recognise who we are through the blood of Jesus Christ and receive a price that I did not earn, but my God paid for me on the cross. And I'm going to take it with confidence because I know that I am a son and I am a daughter. This is, this is your position so you can be humble. See the balance, the, the humility and the confidence. The humility and the confidence. When I'm humble and I recognise that I need Him. But then I get confidence when I'm reminded of who I am through Him. It maintains, establishes my position. The third thing that I want you to write down, freedom. Freedom's received by the humble. It's activated through confidence. And the second thing I want you to see is 
I want you to write down that it continues, it continues through honour. When Jesus went to do miracles in his hometown, miracles would fall under the category of freedom, wouldn't it? He went to, he went, you could, you could phrase it like Jesus was going to his hometown to set certain people free. That would be a fair assessment. But if you know the story, when Jesus got to his hometown, the wording is that he could not do any mighty works. And why couldn't he do any mighty works? Because they didn't see him as Jesus, the Son of God. They saw him as Jesus the carpenter. And so they dishonoured who He was and therefore limited the freedom they were able to walk in. So if we want to actually, if we want to continue in living a life of freedom, we have to establish this position where we know what it is to continually honour who our Heavenly Father is. And, and, and see what it does. It, it, it establishes a balance in our life when, when I recognise who I am as a son or daughter and I'm reminded of who He is as my Heavenly Father. If you look at these two revelations and you look at it through Scripture, I believe that two of the greatest revelations that you can have as a believer, if I was to pick two of the greatest revelations you can have as a believer, I would say they are knowing who you are in Jesus Christ as a son and knowing who your heavenly Father is. And the reason why I say that is if you go back to the very beginning when absolute freedom was provided for Adam and Eve and the serpent came, when the serpent came, the serpent used a very clear, very clean strategy to interrupt their freedom. And you can look at it later, we don't have time. But what was the first thing that the serpent said to Eve? Did God really say? So what is the serpent doing? He's, he's subtly undermining who God is. Then as the conversation continues, what he's doing is, he says, did God really say that you shall not eat? In a sense, who does God think he is? And he asks a question to invoke this train of thought in her to doubt who her God is and doubt His goodness and doubt His faithfulness. Because if he can get her to dishonour God, then she'll then question who she is. And see what he's, what he's doing is he's messing with their understanding of who God is and their understanding of who they are. And then if you look at it, when Jesus, when God comes in, I'm sorry, into the garden 
and he's looking for them. And they've messed up, right? Pretty big mistake. Pretty much screwed up the whole rest of mankind. We won't hold it against them, but we'll talk about it when we get to heaven. I've got a couple questions, but. Look at what God says. The first thing that God says when He walks into the garden after they screwed up. You would think that the first thing that God says to them is, what did you do? But He doesn't. He says, where are you? You see it? Because God's concern is not what they did, but it's how they allowed what they did to get them out of position. You see it? it, it listen, this is, I'm, I'm again, I'm feeling great about this sermon right now. So this is the first, go, go to the sixth. So that's the first Adam. Go to the second Adam, Jesus. Matthew, Jesus, the book of Matthew, Jesus, and they've got the verses there, put them up. He's in the desert. And what does the devil do again? Look at this. It's the exact same strategy that he used on the first Adam. He tries it again on the second Adam. And he comes again, questioning God's identity and Jesus' identity. Coming and questioning, again, His understanding of who God is and His understanding of who He is. The temptations that He comes to have. If, if, you're, if you're the Son of God, listen to the wording, causing Him to question who He is. If you're so good and powerful, Want you cast the stones to become bread. If, if you're so good and powerful, cast, throw yourself down from here. Won't God send angels? So see the subtlety in the question is he's causing him to question his identity and his heavenly father. It's two of the most powerful revelations we know because the enemy always comes after those things that are a greatest threat to him. And the enemy chose to come after them with the first Adam, with the first attack, and again with the second Adam, with the second attack, then it suggests to us that if we get that as a revelation, it's a pretty big threat to hell. Knowing who you are. Look at what the, the, the enemy is attacking in culture right now, especially amongst young people, more than ever before. You know what it is? Identity. And I'm gonna preach the hell out of it at Forward Conference this week. You better believe it. It's knowing because he cannot allow young people to grow up knowing who they are in Christ. And if he can just subtly to come in and bring every twisted, screwed up perversion imaginable to get their young minds off track, he will take them down a road that will be so hard for them to get back without Jesus. But if we as believers and as the church can get on the front foot and begin to sow into them an understanding and a revelation of who you are in Christ Jesus, it will establish a position that they can hold 
and live free. Paul says in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1, he says to us to stand firm. Put that verse up. To stand firm. In what? In the liberty. In the freedom by which Christ has made us free. Do you know how you win? You hold your ground. That's how you win. That's why he says, Paul says in Ephesians, when he's talking about a spiritual battle, he says, having done all to stand. Stand firm. This is the difference between a fight and a wrestle. I'm not told to fight the devil. We wrestle not against principalities and powers. Doesn't say I fight the devil, I'm fighting I'm not fighting the devil. There are certain battles that are not worth my effort. Why would I try and fight somebody that's already defeated? It doesn't. You're not fighting the devil. The devil's fighting you because you have what he wants and his position. That's why that joker was kicked out of heaven in the first place. But we got what he wanted. So all I've got to do, that's the difference between wrestling and fighting. If you understand the context of what they were talking about in Scripture and what wrestling was back then, the wrestling, how you win a wrestling is when a wrestle match was when you move somebody out of the position that they were in outside of a circle marked on on the ground. That's when you won. So how do you win spiritually is you stay grounded and hold your position and not allow the enemy to lure you into a fight that's already been won and already been accomplished by the blood of Jesus Christ. Let the blood of Jesus fight for you and you hold your ground and you will live free, not in and of your own strength, but in His. This is is how you live free. This is how you live free. But trouble's coming, hold your ground. But it hurts like hell, hold your ground. It'll pass, the storm will not stay. God is bigger than it, He is greater than it. Receive His peace that surpasses all understanding. Just hold your ground. Don't let Him allow you to get off track and in doubt and in unbelief, hold your ground and you will sense His touch and the joy of the Lord will be your strength. But it's poured out in that position. This is where freedom is. This is where freedom is. The last thing I want you to write down real quick, real quick, I'll do this quick, I promise. It increases, it increases by faith. It increases. More freedom. I can walk in more freedom. How? If I believe by faith, because faithful with a little unlocks much. So if I'm faithful with the freedom God has given me now, a challenge for us in stepping into more or receiving more requires me to step into something that's new. 
And something that's new is difficult because new means unknown. And we love what we know. But what I know doesn't require faith. Because I know it. And, and, and the moment you get comfortable, God will then draw you or invite you to take a step out of what you know into what you don't know. And then you know what happens? When you take that step, you know what you gotta do? You've gotta be humble again. You've gotta go deeper in your understanding of who you are. You've gotta go deeper in your understanding of who He is. And the moment you do that, you know what'll happen? You experience more freedom. And then you know what'll happen? He'll call you to go another, another step. And then you're like, oh my gosh, we've got to do this again. Let's go. This, this is called growing. And now I've got to go, now I've got to, I've got to humble myself again. Oh, I'm so sick of humbling myself. This is where trial and tribulation becomes a blessing. This is, these are the moments where you can find what James was talking about, where he said, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds because you see spiritually what the natural attack is causing in your spiritual growth. And you start praising the devil for sending trouble your way, which he hates the most because he's trying to hold you back and you start thanking Him for trouble because it looks like it was gonna hold you back in the natural, but spiritually it moved you forward. This is what new ground looks like. This verse, and I'm gonna close, I promise, I promise, 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 promise. Isaiah 43, I've had on my heart and our team knows that we're talking about it and it hit me in a prayer meeting and we're gonna do something on it. I don't know what, but we're gonna do something. Put it up on the screen real quick. Uh, 43, 19. Is that up there? Behold, can you see it? There we go. Behold, I will do a new thing. new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. And the beasts of the field will honour me. See how He's turning it? The jackals and the ostriches, because I give waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my people, my chosen, this people I have formed for myself, they shall declare my praise. It's a new thing. He's doing a new thing. A, a new thing is fun to preach, hard to live. Because it means I've got to get rid of the old thing because the old wine skin can't handle new wine. And he won't pour out new wine into the old wine skin because he doesn't want the wine to waste. So if we 
let go of our wineskins, what are we gonna hold on to then? That's when He gives us a new wineskin, new ground and new wine. New freedom, new breakthroughs. But we've got to hold our position. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. To watch our latest message, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. To stay connected, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Free Chapel OC.